Hello and welcome to the new episode of Unusual Dialogues. Today I'm hosting an interesting interview with uh, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello. Great to be here. Nice. I'm I'm happy to have you on my podcast. Uh, last time we've met on on Revelancer podcast, and that was definitely an amazing conversation with a lot of insight to enterprise and uh, fundraising success. Whereas today I just wanted to ask you a bit more um, personal. Um, journeys of yours especially that you've traveled the world quite a bit and i'm very interested in hearing about all those crazy adventures so could you just briefly introduce yourself from this perspective to our listeners yeah so for the past four years i've been a full-time digital nomad so i've traveled with my company with my team and also by myself and with my ex-girlfriend you know around southeast asia europe us central america canada Morocco, Turkey, you know, some of the most incredible places in the world. So for four years, just traveling the world. That's amazing. Okay, so before I ask about the, the actual, you know, events that took place in those places, may I just ask um, briefly if you could um, tell me what do you think uh, about the difference between traveling on your own versus, for example, traveling with friends and traveling with a girlfriend and vice versa? Okay. Yeah. Interesting question. Um, well, traveling with friends is great, but I feel like at some point, you know, your friends, you know, you don't have the right time in life to go. A lot of my friends now have kids, they have a long-term girlfriend, they have jobs. But when you just finish university, for example, it's easier, but traveling on your own is huge benefits because you can easily do what you want when you want. Um, and I don't just travel by myself. You know, when I'm traveling, I stay in hostels, you know, I meet people, I go on um, you know, tours of certain places. So I'm meeting some of my best friends I've met whilst traveling um, around the world in different places. And then finally, you're traveling with a girlfriend is interesting. I think that's when you know whether you're right for each other or not. When you're fully you know, in the moment, traveling, you know, surviving together in extreme circumstances um, and purely in each other's company, that's when you know whether you, know, you can last the next how many years together or not, you know, whether she'd call it quits now or not. Um, but it's been very romantic and incredible experience to travel with someone, even that's whether that's a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's um, yeah, some of my closest connections in life have been whilst traveling. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's that's exactly why I wanted to hear because I, I can see how when I do travel on my own, there is um, a certain freedom, as you said of uh, just being the, uh, in charge of the drive, let's say. Whereas with, with people, you have to always make some sort of agreements. And uh, sometimes it does not work. Uh, fun fact about uh, a friend of mine, he uh, was traveling around uh, Russia with, uh, with another friend, and they both are very, very much so, uh, you know, hitchhikers um, on a large scale. But at some point, they came to so many differences about how they want to spend the free time that they decided to split. So in the middle of, uh, I think it was Mongolia, they literally just parted um, because they couldn't stand anymore all those arguments about where to go next. So that might happen as well. Okay, so could I just ask you first, how did it go initially when you've just been starting doing Alpaca and uh, I understand you've had some launch in Madrid at the time. How did that go? 
Yeah, so Alpaca was um, my my first startup. It's a social network for travel blogging. So we raised a large amount of investment, and then we launched all across the world. So as you said, you know, we launched across Europe. We visited twelve locations there, and we had big launch parties. So for example, in Madrid, we had um, you know, we had a big nightclub where we had our promoters, film crew, DJ, and you know, you're you're only allowed in the club if you had the app on your phone. So that was an incredible time. That's actually where I met my ex-girlfriend. She was um, at that party, the, the hottest girl at that party, I think. <laughs> um, and we ended up talking and chatting, and then we ended up traveling the world together for a year afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was interesting that time as well, because my promoters, they actually got received death threats from the local mafia, Whoa. because we were promoting on their turf with their, where their nightclubs were. And, you know, they, they, they took it as a huge offense and basically got annoyed, even though we were only there for one night. So that was an interesting experience with uh, death threats from the Spanish mafia because we were on their turf. Whoa. And, and did you, was there any follow-up? Did you have to, I don't know, respond to it in any way? Because I understand that you were not really a competition for them. It's just a bit more of a, you know, someone stepping into your territory to, to have fun, but you didn't, you didn't compete with them. Yeah, well, it's because we had the nightclub event and we were taking people from their nightclub events and they have like a, an agreement there on who has what night when and they got annoyed that we sort of butted in and created our own new event. Um, but thankfully, obviously, we were only there for a few days before we went on to Barcelona afterwards. So, yeah, I didn't progress anything more, but you know, the threats were like, you can't do this again. And we were basically saying, well, we're only here for <laughs> a one-off event anyway, so don't worry about it. I yeah. guess it's a it's a bit of a tricky situation because it's not like everywhere on the street you can uh, get a poster saying that it's the mafia who you need to contact and the contact details to arrange a um, party. <laughs> so yeah, it's not a exactly. formal formal process. Okay, so w where did it go from there? You went to South Asia, didn't you? Yeah, so after Europe, we raised more money and then we went to Southeast Asia. Uh, my girlfriend actually worked for me at the time as well after that. So she moved from America and yeah, we traveled around Southeast Asia together um, as well as my team. Um, so yeah, we went to Bali, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam at that time. And that was you know, an incredible experience doing the same thing again, promoting to thousands of users. We had big events on you know, random beaches in, in Bali. We had huge parties there. And, you know, we, that was, yeah, one of the most great memories of my life so far is, is around Southeast Asia. It's a beautiful country, amazing people, amazing food. Um, yeah, and some crazy stories as well. All of them I probably won't share, but yeah, Southeast Asia is amazing. Yeah, of course. So may I follow up with uh, a few of those stories? Could you share a little bit? Um, yeah, <laughs> good question. I'm going to keep the... The really crazy ones to myself on this one um but you know it was like a really magical time like we went onto one island for a dollar each we hired these mopeds and the whole team went around the islands you know we went to little villages in the mountains and you know we had a drone flying above us we had you know gopros and we were capturing the most incredible footage all across Nusa Penida that was across Bali we then when we launched across um in Gili T, which is an amazing backpacker island. It's just a little island off of Bali. There's thousands and thousands of backpackers there. And every night, you know, and every day we promoted every night, we had big parties and, you know, we just met 
some incredible people and the locals there are full-time island guys you know they're just in their flip-flops and shorts they earn about fifty dollars a month you know they don't have anything but they're the most happiest people on the planet and they're just there selling you know marijuana or selling um you know magic mushroom milkshakes like these crazy wow. things um yeah it's a fantastic time um yeah great uh, anyone who goes to bali definitely go to guinea tea Beautiful. That's that sounds amazing. Uh, funnily enough, uh, my flatmate uh, right now and my very good friend uh, lived in Indonesia for some time uh, during his high school years, and Bali was the spring break place for all the teenagers, let's say, to go and party. So that sounds about right. That's amazing, also as well. So would you say that uh, we could learn something from those locals there when it comes to the way we? Uh, go at it every day with our work environment in the western world yeah so yeah when i was in vietnam for example i lived with a local tribe in the mountains they're the hmong tribe so they're about 30 miles i think south of the, of the chinese border and they live right in the mountains by a town called sapa so sapa is a colonial french town so it's all these french buildings and churches and in the buildings are all old wood and it feels like you're in Paris. And when you look at the paintings, there's loads of paintings of you know, in the 1800s of naked women in the fields, you know, just like you see in Paris. But when you look at the faces, you realize they're all Vietnamese, um, you know, they're not French. And then the cuisine there has got a French influence. You know, they have Vietnamese baguettes. So that's a really <laughs> interesting place to go. Um, but all the locals there live around Sapa, around this French town. They're all different tribes. So you have the Red Dao, the Hmong, and there's a couple of others as well. And they have their traditional dresses on um, and clothing. And all they, they, these people, they live in the mountains and, you know, they have rice paddies. They usually have you know, a few dogs for protection. They have a pig. They've got a few, you know, roosters or, or hens. And they've got big wild, uh, not wild, but big water buffalo to plow the fields. So we, me and my ex-girlfriend, we stayed there for a few days and this, the family we stayed with, they had nothing. They lived in a wooden shack. There's no, you know, the ground was just mud and the kitchen was just, you know, a fire pit in the mud. And they had one tiny little light, light bulb in the middle of the whole sort of building. And um, it's kind of structured like a shed, but they made us dinner. And that was honestly one of the best dinners I've ever had in my life. I, I remember every single part of it till still right now even it was three years ago but they were just happy you know living in the mountains all the you know they're just farmers living a basic life but same on giddy tea you know the island i spoke about before you know these guys just live in paradise and they're just happy you know they don't worry about anything even though you know there's a lot to worry about you know i think one of the guys there he was only 20 and he worked in the hostel we were staying in um, but he died a few months after we left and yeah, it was a big shock to us, but then we just realized, you know, there, that's, you know, very much a way of life. You know, people die young. They don't have any, you know, medical help at all, really. You know, their diet is very poor. They, they don't earn very much at all. So they just live the best life they can in, in you know, the time they have. So, yeah, it's amazing seeing these different people around the world. And, and, you know, they're always the happiest as well. Same in South America as well, Central America and Guatemala. You know, I was in Antigua, which is a town just underneath all the big volcanoes. And this is a Spanish colonial town, but 90% are 
um, like Native Americans. Um, but again, they don't have much money, but they are the happiest people I've ever met. You know, walking down the street, they're all waving and hola, senor, hola. And, you know, they line up to take photos with you and to speak with you. And they're, they're super friendly. So, so, yeah, I think people who don't have much in life, you know, they value the things they have. And what really surprises me with the traveling is people are different, but they're also very much the same. So, you know, no matter where you're from, whether it's South America or Southeast Asia, you know, people value family, they value friendship, they value trust, you know, they love good food and they just want some, you know, a simple life with, with a house, you know, it, people have the same values, no matter what your background is, you know, just people want the same thing in life. So we're all, we're all the same, even though we're very different, which is something you see when, when you start to travel. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think if anything, the, the way I perceive, you know, sort of the, the culture that we're living in right now, much, much more focused on amassing or, or upgrading our lifestyles, let's say, it does feel that it's still the same thing. It's just more details to it. But at the at the core of it all, it's it's yet again a family, you know, a security, let's say, and the feeling of purpose and and some sort of pleasantries of of life. That's beautiful. So could you tell me any, um, a little bit more about the uh, Central America travel? How was that different to Southeast Asia? And uh, as well, I wanted to ask, uh, would you say that um, the cheapest time you've had? Um, anywhere was Southeast Asia so far? Yeah, I mean, Southeast Asia is, well, I think Vietnam is the cheapest country on earth, I think. Um, but Cambodia next to it is also very cheap. I remember a Cambodia, a pint of beer was 25 cents. So you go to a bar and people are just buying drinks for everybody. It's just so cheap. Uh, but then we also saw the other side to that, you know, someone added $10 $10 note and they burnt it and ripped it up in front of, you know, a local um, prostitute. Um, and, you know, to them, this money is a lot and, you know, they've obviously had hard time, um, but that was, you know, some you know, quite evil thing we saw happen out there. Um, and people obviously do take advantage, especially, you know, the sex industry out there, you know, it's rife with, you know, wealthier people from, from Europe or America or Australia going there and taking advantage of the locals. Um, so that's a yeah quite a bad thing to see, um, but yeah to answer your question, your other question, yeah Southeast Asia um, and Central America very different. I mean Central America is a beautiful place. You know, you've got the Caribbean Sea, you know in Mexico, you, Guatemala. I did an active volcano hike, so for two days hiked up an active volcano. You know woke up early in the morning for sunrise, and you know we just saw this ex explosion in front of us this gust of warm air and, you know, this volcano just erupted right in front of our eyes. And, you know, it was one of the most surreal experiences and one of the best experiences of my life. Um, yeah. So I, I recommend both, but they're all obviously quite different um, in the culture, um, especially like Southeast Asia is really built on respect. A lot of the tourist areas are run by the local mafia there. So you can't, you know, it's all about respect and understanding. You can't get in any arguments with people. You know, that's when people end up sort of chopped up dead on the beach. Um, you know, there's loads <laughs> of stories like that of tourists being killed out there because they disrespect the locals. So yeah, Southeast Asia, especially Thailand, you have to be really respectful um, of locals. Um, I think, you know, South, 
Central America is a little bit, obviously it's still respect, but it's a little bit different. There's not quite that kind of um, culture there. Um, they're more used to sort of Western tourists, especially from, from the US. Um, so it's slightly different on that side. Of course. Beautiful. And uh, any, any fun, fun facts or fun stories from Central America then, apart from the volcano, which I assume you were quite far from it, though, at the time, weren't you? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> we, so we hiked for you know, a day to the top, and then the next day we hiked to the top of the next one. Um, and that was literally, you could see the lava bubbling down next to you. Um, but it's because you're on a um, sort of hill, sec like not at the top, but a secondary hilltop that's actually protected. So this volcano erupts every 15, 20 minutes. And so there is like a safe zone where you can go, where, you know, there's no fumes and, you know, you can see and hear the lava, but you, you know, you can't get anywhere near it to touch it or you, or you don't want to go anywhere near it, near it to touch it. So you are safe, um, as safe as you can be on an active volcano. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so any stories from South America? Um, yeah, I was on this beautiful island and just off of um, it's called Holbosch, just off of um, north of Mexico, or like by Cancun area, Holbosch. And the locals there again have nothing, you know, they have you know, maybe a moped and they live in these little, little shacks, um, and they're very, very poor, but. Again, they live a great life in terms of, you know, they're on this amazing, beautiful island. So on one side of the island, there's crocodiles and flamingos. The other side is the town. And when you go just after the town, the other direction to the, to the crocodiles, um, there's loads of fireflies at night. So you walk into the beach and there's just fireflies everywhere. And when you get to the beach, you look up and you can see thousands and thousands of stars. You can see shooting stars, you can see planets. You can see the Milky Way, like you can see everything. It's amazing. And then when you swim in the sea, all the plankton lights up. So you're just moving around swimming with all this plankton lighting up around you. And it's you know, incredibly romantic and a beautiful place. So, you know, I went there with, you know, a lot of very good friends. Um, and, and, you know, it was a very, very special moment um, for me and, and for them as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised as well that you can see so far into the sky without all the light pollution that we we have over here, let's say, in our amazing civilized world. That's that's beautiful. Okay, and um, was there any other stage? Um, did you go straight after Central America to Silicon Valley to fundraise or did you come back home first? So Silicon Valley was before um, Central America, uh, two years before, to be exact. Um, Central America was recently, um, but Silicon Valley was before COVID. Uh, so with Silicon Valley, I rocked up and met a friend and we did a, a road trip around California. We went to Death Valley, the hottest place on earth, uh, which is just a big desert. We then went to um, Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park, where you have the biggest trees in the world. And we saw the biggest tree in the world as well, General Sherman tree. We then went to Yosemite, which is a beautiful place, you know, in, in probably the most beautiful place in, in the US, I should say, that and maybe Yellowstone. Um, and then you yeah, went to San Francisco. And then after that, I, I went to the Valley. So I had a nice little bit of travel there as well before 
maybe living in Silicon Valley for about three months afterwards. Yeah, and I remember from our previous uh, discussion that in Silicon Valley, you sort of rocked up quite poor, <laughs> not really prepared for the uh, for the adventure, rather just taking it on and, um, and, you know, doing your best, hoping for the best. So how did that come about? I remember you mentioned living in a hacker house at the time, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, obviously I had this little road trip, but after that, well, and before that, you know, I didn't have any money at all. Um, as I said on the last podcast um, that we were on, I went $30,000 in personal debt to keep paying my team. And that happened because an investor dropped out last minute and didn't transfer a quarter of a million pounds. Uh, so it meant I was in a tricky situation. So in Silicon Valley, I lived with um, other um, entrepreneurs in a hacker house. So there was about 18 of us living in this four bedroom house and I was in the garage and in a bunk bed. Um, so I lived there for three months. And whilst I was there, I was networking around and meeting the right people in the right places. And eventually we managed to raise the investment. So that was a, yeah, a different kind of travel, but it was still a, an amazing experience. And yeah, I went to this one place. Um, everyone kept telling me you need to go to Kuganite. I was like, what, what is Kuganite? So I went online and I saw all these stories from the nineties of young guys in the twenties going to Kuganite and basically they wake up the next morning and they're in some, you know, middle-aged woman's house in like mansion in Silicon Valley. And they've got a check for $500,000 next to the bedside. And you know, <laughs> there's these crazy stories of this happening. So me and my friends from the hacker house decided to go. So we all suited and booted and dresses on, went there. And it's next to the three most expensive zip codes in the US. And it's a massive hotel with this bar next to it. So we went into the bar and then massive bouncers opened the door for us. And it was basically like a Bond movie. Now you had Iranian billionaires who were just there drinking. You had Russian prostitutes um, walking around, which I realized afterwards, because there was a news article about it, the Russian prostitutes are actually working for the Russian government. And they were there to get little trade secrets from the tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then you also had the cougars, you know, these middle-aged women, you know, in their, you know, maybe late, late 30s or 40s, 50s. Uh, you know, a lot of them had too much Botox though. Um, but they were just there chatting. And then also you had those entrepreneurs as well. So that was a really surreal experience. So yeah, if anyone goes to Silicon Valley, Google Cougar Night and definitely uh, check it out. And it's an open entry. You don't have to show your account balance over <laughs> seven zeros. No, it's just, uh, you just rock up, go in. It's just a normal bar. Wow. Um, but yeah, it is very expensive. Like I tried to get, obviously I was, you know, didn't have any money. I was in debt. So I bought a beer, which was like a, a little can of beer, which was $20 <laughs> um, just for a little tiny can. So yeah, I had to buy that and sip it slowly and let other people buy you know, me drinks who could afford it at the time. <laughs> That's beautiful. I am mindful of time. So I wanted to ask you, because you said that you went there suited and booted and it sounds like you were quite well prepared for a backpacker. So I wanted to ask you, what, what would you say um, or maybe in, in what way do you travel usually on those travels? Do you have more than one backpack or do I understand correctly that you sort of you're prepared with a suit for a business uh, meeting at the same time? 
Okay, well, yeah, so this was a unique trip. So I had my suit, obviously. I had a tent, sleeping bag, you know, a cooking stove when I did the little road trip before. And we, you know, we did a camping in, you know, in, in the trees, in the mountains, and in the desert. And yeah, and then just, you know, general clothes. Uh, obviously, Silicon Valley's a desert, so I had a lot of shorts and, and flip-flops with me as well. Um, but no, that was a unique experience, that one. Um, but generally, when I travel, I have like a winter bag and a summer bag, so it depends where I'm going. Um, but yeah, try and pack as little as possible. So you just have one smaller bag, especially in the summer, and that I can bring onto the plane with me, and then my laptop and, and electronics and another, and another bag. So yeah, travel very, very light. I think when people first travel, they, they try and bring everything with them. And you soon realize it's just an absolute nightmare. So less is better and you can always buy stuff if you need it. So yeah, I usually go very, very light. Yeah, so I understand the the only important thing as a digital nomad really is to to have your computer and phone and work in Wi-Fi, isn't it? That's probably a prerequisite for a for an adventure to to be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful. So Dan, before we finish, I usually ask my interviewees to give a little, I don't know, advice, a little encouragement, something that you would share with, with our listeners, maybe in regards to the journeys, because I think this is something that is quite empowering. You know, we're just going out of this COVID zone, let's say, and I hope that people will be allowed to travel more and more, me included. So is there anything in particular that you would, I don't know, give advice on how to approach people or maybe something that you would never do again and uh, um, just a, a little uh, note of uh, watch out for that? Yeah, I think people who travel a lot obviously got a wealth of knowledge around the world. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of my friends are full-time digital nomads. For example, there's one girl right now, she's 20 She's Jewish, which is relevant. Um, she's white. She's American. Right now, she's traveling Iraq for two months by herself. She's a 20-year-old Jewish white girl traveling Iraq for two months by herself. Um, and that's for me, is the biggest trait. And that's what I would advise people is just to have, maybe not that extreme, but just to have the courage to step out of your comfort zone. You know, a lot of people go to the same places or places they know the culture or what's happening. Um, but... I find they're not the best experiences. The best experiences are where you're exploring, you know, everywhere, different places in the world, you know, whether that's Southeast Asia, Morocco, Turkey, you know, Canada, Central America, South America, South Africa. Like there's so many beautiful places in the world. And, you know, yes, it's scary. And yes, you know, there's uncertainty, but that's, you know, that's the little price you have to pay, um, you know, for having the experience of a lifetime. So I think it's just really research the place and, and just go um, or go with someone who's been before or ask people who've been before for their advice and their recommendations. And especially if you're traveling alone, 100% stay in hostels. A lot of people don't like hostels because it's weird that you're staying with other people, but it is the most incredible thing to do when traveling because obviously one, it's cheap, but the most important thing is you meet other people. So I've met, you know, ex-girlfriends of mine in hostels i've met some of my best friends for life in hostels you know it's an incredible place where you meet like-minded people and then you can instantly you know have breakfast see someone talk to them and within a few hours you know you've adventured around a whole place whole city you know you're partying with them at night 
you know, within, you know, a few hours, you're best friends. So I think, you know, staying at hostels, meeting people and having the experience of a lifetime and sharing that special moment with these new friends for life, that's uh, something surreal, which, you know, everyone needs to experience. And you can always stay in a private room in a hostel, you know, if you don't want to be in a dorm room. But hostels for sure are the best thing to do when traveling. That's beautiful. Thank you very much for that. I, I'm, uh, yeah, if anything, you know, I feel inspired <laughs> and I'll definitely reach out to you a few times when I have some questions prior to my journeys. But uh, yeah, thank you very much then for your time. It was lovely to, to meet you again on the podcast and uh, I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much, guys. I hope you enjoyed our little talk and uh, just remember... Stay happy, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time.